it's Monday, May 14th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 160 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? You hanging in? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is guitar player, improviser, Bill Orcutt. That's who you hear back there. This is his version of Lonely Woman by, by the great master Ornette Coleman. It's from his newest record, simply called Bill Orcutt. There's a lot of great music in the catalog of Bill Orcutt, and uh, I think today we have a good conversation about a lot of it. Today on the show, Bill Orcutt. May 28th, coming up very soon. It's the first live podcast taping and performance of the 5049 podcast. Going to be doing them once a month at the Arate venue in, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Uh, every month, different musicians going to come, present some of their new work, and then we're going to talk about it. It's all going to be recorded for the podcast, and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. May 28th, the very first one with my my dear friend and great musician, Toby Driver from the band K.O. Dot. He's going to be doing some of his new music, uh, his ballads. And I couldn't be more excited. If you're around May 28th, come on down. Go to the 5049 website uh, for more information. I also want to say thanks to everyone who uh, has signed up and pledged to the Patreon. Uh, I continue to put up shows every week, though I did miss last week. Uh, And they're all free. They're all there to enjoy. But if you want to help out and throw in a few bucks, uh, this show is essentially a listener-supported show. You could go to patreon.com slash 5049podcast. You could pledge a monthly amount, uh, and every bit helps. Um, it would be greatly appreciated. And and if you can't do that but you want to help out, tell a friend. Do you have friends who like podcasts? Maybe go up to them and say, hey, do you like podcasts? I know a podcast you can check out. It's this guy. He talks to, uh, to great musicians in his apartment, and they drink coffee. So do that. All right, Bill Orcutt. Uh, I assume a lot of you are are potentially familiar with him already. He's originally from Miami, uh, where he started in the early 90s. He started the band Harry Pussy. Harry Pussy was around for a bunch of years. They did a bunch of touring, uh, released a bunch of records. The band split, and he moved out to San Francisco. And he sort of laid low for a while, uh, not presenting a lot of music and in the last few years he's he's really come out of hibernation uh with a lot of really amazing records the newest record that i was just playing up top uh bill orcutt um i think it's the newest he puts out a lot of stuff so there's a very good chance i'm wrong about that uh it's a collection of his interpretations um i guess you could say from the american songbook is lonely woman part of the american songbook now i think it is i think it should be anyway if it's not Really beautiful stuff. Um, and he, he's, he's on tour a lot. He's collaborating with people like Chris Corsano and, and Joe McPhee. And in fact, uh, this conversation just took place about a month ago. Bill was in town playing solo. Uh, he'll be back 
in a couple of weeks. He'll be back on June 7th at Issue Project Room with Joe McPhee and Tashi Dorji. So you know that's going to be good. Uh, and Bill's a, a good dude. This is the first time we ever talked, first time we ever met. Um, and I enjoyed this one a lot. He's an interesting guy. He's got a good uh, perspective and a, and, and, a, and a good sense of, of, I think, humor around all of it. When I say all of it, I mean, you know, making music and then showing it to people, playing it for people. Uh, it, it, it's You, you got to have a sense of humor about it. Otherwise, I don't know. Um, he's just a good dude. He's a great player, and uh, I really enjoy this conversation a lot. And if you're around on, on June 7th, you should get to Issue Project Room because I guarantee that's going to be a special show. If you want to find out more about Bill Orcutt, you're going to go to the website of his record label. Palilalia Records. Am I saying that right? Probably not. Palilalia Records. That's P-A-L-I-L-A-L-I-A. You dig? Records.com. And that's it. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation with Bill Orcutt. <laughs> Cars, I, I'm like, it takes me five minutes to, to figure, figure out, out how to use it. Up, yeah. But um, I was on stage in Baltimore, <laughs> and the car was parked in the front, and like I'm playing, and the trunk popped open, and uh, <laughs> this woman. Anyway, do you? I mean, do you drive back in California? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a car. I don't. I don't drive it every day. Right. I have do a you, car. Cause you live in San Francisco, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take the Bart and bus mostly. Where in San Francisco? <laughs> the neighborhood's called Sunnyside. Okay. But you probably wouldn't have heard of it. I've, there's I just, n- there's nothing there but houses and stuff. So that's nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, nice. It's like over here. It's like there's no bars, no right. no drunks screaming out my window. We lived in the Mission for 12 years and then... Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Mission is still, like, despite the fact that you have to be like a gazillionaire to live there, right. it's still pretty rugged in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, parts of it for sure. I mean, there's certainly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parts of it for sure. Yeah. Um, I know because my kids are old enough now they're 12 and 14 and so they're old enough to be out on their own and taking public transportation uh-huh. and it's like I would not probably be happy to have my 12 year old daughter like hanging out in the mission <laughs> hanging out at like yeah the 16th street bar or something right kind of a that's kind of a rough spot it is a rough spot yeah when she's older she'll get there <laughs> and they live you've raised them in san francisco the whole time yeah they were born in san francisco and they, yeah, they lived there yeah, yeah yeah when did you first go out there because you're from Florida. from miami yeah we moved there in 97 yeah so you could move there then it, it was crazy then that was the beginning of the dot-com right thing and when we 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 flew out like a week before we wanted to move to find try to find an apartment and it was it was just a shit show it was like like easy pickings no, you would go there. It was like you'd look at. We looked at like the online listings. I guess Craigslist, Craigslist was happening, and there would just be people to like ten deep with checks out and their really? background checks already done, and 
the whole thing. Yeah. So, uh, and we lucked out, and then we found a, we bought a newspaper, which nobody else was doing. Wait, wait, you had to look at the classifieds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, we found our apartment. We found a great apartment, uh, just in the in the in the newspaper. Yeah. And went over and got it the same day, and it was done. Why did you go there initially, or want to go there? Because uh, I was doing, I started doing uh, software engineering, and uh, and that was the place to do it. That was the the day yeah. gig. Yeah. Yeah. I always, as a teenager, I had like a huge fascination uh, with San Francisco. I watched Escape from Alcatraz yep. on loop. All my favorite bands were from San Francisco. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't even, I never went there until about a year ago. Huh. Uh, I never made it out. And I realized a year ago when I went there that if I'd gone there as a young person, there's a very good chance I would have ended up there instead of New York. Yeah. Even though it now feels, I think, very different. Right. I mean, I'm there now because my kids are born there, and you know we're not going to go anywhere until they're grown. But you think you'll go somewhere after that? Well, it depends how the money works out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is an expensive place to live. So yeah, but yeah, but until Did, then, we're we're there. I mean, what was the music scene like there when you when you got there? Oh, you know, I had nothing really to compare it to because I was coming from Miami, where there was nothing. So for me, it was like, oh, there's a ton of shit to go see. Yeah. And when I first moved, yeah, that's I did that all the time, just right. constantly going to shows. And then after about a year, I was like, all right, right, right. Uh, I'm not that excited about it anymore. <laughs> and then I kind of didn't do anything related to music for about 10 years. At all? Not even at home? Picking. Not even at home, yeah. But what, uh, Was that... That was after having been in a band. That was after having and, been in a band and yeah. touring and all that stuff. And you felt comfortable putting the guitar down and just... You know, people asked me to play and stuff, but it was like I already kind of felt like I had done what I wanted to do um, in terms of just being in the weirdest band I could think of. Right. Uh, and I didn't really just want to be in anybody else's band. Or even like, I feel like when I think about San Francisco, especially, you know, the late 90s, there were plenty of... or there is, I, my, my understanding is that there were plenty of bands that were doing pretty crazy shit. Yeah, but uh, not as crazy as us. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we had the normal. See, the thing was, we weren't crazy, uh, you know, all caps. Right. We were, you know, we were like normal people, but who were doing something really weird. You're talking about the band Harry Pussy. Yeah. So I've been to Miami once. Oh, so. good for you. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's it's very. It seemed like a very unusual place. I don't. I didn't feel like it was a place that I'd want to spend a lot of time. Uh, but it also felt to me like almost like Maine does in a way, in that it's very remote, and right. you sort of have to self-generate what you want. Right. If because it's was that am I am I off the mark? Kinda. It's it's yeah. kind of accurate. Uh, you know <laughs> how to describe Miami. I mean, so you were you grew up there as a kid, and what, I grew the 70s? up there as a kid. Yeah. So I mean. Yeah, there was a, definitely like a feeling of isolation and it was impossible to imagine like what the route would be from being in a band in Miami to playing outside of Miami or you know to right. like how would anybody ever know that you existed and how could you ever make a record and how could you ever play out, you know, in New York or whatever. Right. Right. So <laughs> So I guess when when you just just don't even consider those as, as options. It gives you a certain freedom, maybe. To just make the music that you want to make. Just do whatever you want. Yeah. Right. I mean, what were you listening to that made you want to <clears throat> put a band together? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
well, I mean, I start. So, how far are we going back? Uh, we'll, go, we'll go to the back to the beginning. <laughs> go back to the beginning. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't that. I, I did. I was the oldest kid, um, but in a completely not musical household. Yeah. So my parents didn't have a stereo or a record player. Really? Or, yeah, or anything. So, and then I think when I was about twelve, they got me a guitar because it was. Cheap. At your request? No, uh, I didn't know anything about music. They just—I uh, think they thought kids should have musical instruction, and they didn't want to yeah. buy a piano. Uh-huh. So they bought a guitar, like uh-huh. this cheap Yamaha <laughs> acoustic, and I got lessons, and it was terrible, you know. And yeah, I didn't really want to do it, and it was the music in the book wasn't very interesting, and and it didn't didn't take, you know, maybe it was like maybe lasted a few months. <laughs> Were you? enjoying music as a listener were you no able to not really to I, I was more like a i was more like a science nerd yeah you know i really wasn't into music um and then when i was about 15 they bought me a, a record player again probably because i think i didn't ask for it but i think they just thought teenagers probably want yeah to listen to popular music yeah uh and then so i didn't have really any any guidance and so i just started reading reviews and buying things like in rolling stone or something Initially, maybe Rolling Stone, you know, this would have been about 77. Right. So anything that was getting good reviews in the late 70s. What would that vent? Would have been a lot of disco, potentially? <laughs> yeah. Actually, the very first record I bought was without a review, because it was like, it, probably number one on the charts was uh, A Fifth of Beethoven by Walter Murphy. <laughs> if you've ever heard the disco version of, was, of Beethoven. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Da, 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 Dude, that's da, da. dreadful. <laughs> that is wretched music. Did you did you enjoy it? Yeah. Well, I didn't know anything about music. Right. It was like a guy landed from Mars and he's like, "Oh, well, the, you know, maybe you'll maybe you'll like music." And so they gave me a turntable and so It's I funny that when, when I think about that particular piece of music you just mentioned. Like was that like at the time just like a cynical way of like introducing classical music to people? Or no, was, it was a hit. It was a hit. <laughs> right. It's a good riff, and they put a backbeat to it. You know, like oh a god, bass drum, and yeah, and you could snort coke <laughs> in the disco and go. So, so do you think? I mean, I just have. Do you think that piece of music, like, did it settle in anywhere? No, in I mean, meeting? it was just. It was just. I needed. I needed something to play on my new turntable. Yeah, and that song was on the radio. Yeah, and I and so I bought it. Yeah, and that was my first record, and then, you know, it went from. <laughs> <laughs> From there, did, did you did you buy more disco records? Or? No, uh, no, but I got I got into disco much later, uh, kind of retro as a retrospective sure. thing, because a friend of mine is like a huge disco fiend and has started making me CDRs and stuff. So we're talking much more recently. <laughs> well, like in the last fifteen years, yeah. But uh, yeah, so then I and so that I was re- just reading stuff and I, you know, I gravitated to the, the guitar and. Uh, it went through rock to blues to jazz to yeah know. it's kind of funny going backwards like that for a lot of us i think we do that right starting well, with rock and then we find our way well you start with the contemporary stuff and yeah. then you're like oh and and they're doing a cover of leonard skinner's doing a cover of you know eric clapton playing crossroads which right. is a robert johnson song which is right. you know and you just keep stepping backwards yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean i've always been the type of person that <clears throat> to discover new music I find out the favorite music of the musicians I love, you know, and find your way that way. Right. And yeah, that's, yeah. I found a lot of blues that way. Right. Did uh, so once you heard blues, did it pretty quickly grab hold? Yeah. Well, I mean, it all did. I mean, it was all kind of just coexisting, and and of course, punk was happening at the same time. So I also was getting the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and yeah, and all that stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, and this is all you're taking all this in while you're figuring out your thing on the guitar. Well, yeah, then I guess then not not long after getting the turntable, I decide now I got a, a new renewed interest in yeah. the guitar. Yeah. And and not taking lessons, but yeah, learning it myself. And you were on acoustic records. or electric? Still still acoustic. Yeah. And then I bought uh my neighbor had a like a no-name electric he was selling for 50 bucks, so I got a uh, guitar, I had no amp, and I would just plug it into the stereo oh, man. direct. <laughs> oh, it's like, that sounds, I mean, I, that sounds exactly like stuff I was doing when yeah, I was yeah, teaching yeah. myself to play music, right. and it's just like, it, it, it's like cave drawings, you know? Right, yeah, You're of course. just figuring out, like, any way you can to get it to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what, of what, the guitar that you bought, what it was a knockoff of? It was, it was vaguely Strat-like, yeah. you know, and I think it maybe even had like a very primitive, you know, stamped metal, like whammy bar thing. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, really cheap pickups. I wish I still had it. it yeah. It probably good, would have been a nice guitar to have. Yeah. I, I, I deal with that a lot. Like I used to, I have a, had a four track at a very young age uh -huh. and I would just make sound collages and crazy music at right. like 13, 14. Right. And then when I would run out of tape, I would just record over the stuff instead of going to buy like... You know, a fifty cent Max L. Right. And I, if I could do anything over, I'd go back in time and save those instruments and save oh, those tapes. God, yes. I had a, I, not long. I've, I mean, one. I sort of had the turntable, and then I got like a kind of fancy stereo thing, um, the kind they don't make anymore, and uh, and then also like a two cassette thing. Was that so you, yeah, yeah. Because then you could do kind of overdubbing because yep. you could record, flip the tape over, and then record onto. That was awesome. It gets a little noisy because there's a lot of you just add more and more white noise each layer. That's great. That's awesome. It is. It's a vibe. It's a total vibe. Yeah, yeah. I'm like some of those early Jandek recordings. Right. Like it, that's like such an essential part of the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So, yeah, and like I wish so much that I still had those things because I was doing all kinds of weird tunings and different string configurations and stuff. Were you? approaching these tunings with with an idea of like oh if i turn tune the a to a b or was it just sort of a little more random that's a great question i don't i have no idea what was what the process was yeah <laughs> uh i know at that point i had already uh had heard like beefheart and thought oh yeah this is the music that i, I really like beefheart yeah yeah and because uh, it combined it was it had that punk element it had everything except the disco <laughs> It had the punk, it had the blues, it had the jazz, it had the, you know, it had it all going. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I love Beefheart. It's really unusual music. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, I um, I think that, that there's a certain type of person that hears that and immediately says, that's it. Yeah. You I, know? I was probably that person. Yeah. And there's a list yeah. of groups like that, you know. Right. I think Zappa's that way for a lot of people. Mm. Um, for people my age, it was bands like Primus, you know? Right. You hear that and you're like, I, I want to do that. Right, right. <laughs> did, um, when did you start playing a four-string guitar? Um, after I got done, I, I, when I got my undergraduate, I, I came back to Miami. Did you study music? No, I was studying English. And then yeah. I started at U of M, University of Miami, mm. to get a master's. And, uh... I reconnected with a, a friend of mine from high school, and he introduced me to some friends he had made um, in Miami. And they had a band. Uh, it wasn't a band. It was kind of like a performance troupe of some kind called Verbal Circus. 
And I hated all the bands in Miami. They were really lousy. It was uh, like a bunch of bar bands and stuff? or what? Yeah, yeah. Like in wannabe, you know, copy kind of music where they're just imitating a particular style. And Was there, the, we're talking about what, like the early 80s? Yeah, it would have been early. I graduated, well, yeah, 84. So I'm just trying to imagine what Miami might have been. It seems like, like Cuban-infused pop and jazz might have been. Well, uh, the people uh, were ethnically Cuban, but the music... Uh, wasn't necessarily uh, inflected, you yeah. know, with any of the Caribbean stuff. It was they a lot. I mean, there was a very successful band called the Mavericks that came out of mm -hmm. Miami. It was like a country band essentially, right. and those dudes were all Cuban, right? So, yeah, they could have been Cuban, but they weren't necessarily. Playing did Cuban you? Music. Did, so, you, you were around Cuban culture a lot growing. Oh up. yeah, yeah. That's like a, an essential part of being in Miami. Oh yeah, like yeah. Uh, I forget what the number was. It was like 60-something percent of the people in Miami during the last census uh, weren't even born in the U.S. Right. So, I mean, it really is a big city. Millions of people yeah. uh, who are, yeah, you know, immigrants. Right. So, right. So it's a big, uh, you know, Haitian culture, Cuban culture, Bahamian, you know. The yeah. Whole, the whole thing happening from the islands. And and then now, in, since I've left, like, South America, like, like so many Brazilians and so many Venezuelans mm -hmm. live in Miami. And the bands that you were just mentioning a second ago that you didn't feel any relation oh, to. Oh, yeah. So I got, I got back and it was just really like these these just wannabe bands. Yeah. And then I met these bunch of weirdos uh, through my friend. And I was like, these are the guys I want to play with. These are the guys. <laughs> weirdos in that they were also into like... They were into weird music, but also they were they weren't just doing... They were clearly doing something that nobody in their right mind would like. You know, it was not it was not gonna be any kind of music that anybody wanted to ever invest in or or listen to. Or listen to or they were just do, they were just doing because they wanted that was what they wanted to do. Yeah. Not because they thought anybody would like it. Yeah. So anyway, so but they had all the instruments except uh, drums, so I bought a drum set because I was I wanted to play with them really? so much. Yeah. Uh, and so I became a drummer for like several years. Yeah? Yeah. And, uh, and my guitar kind of like sat off in the corner and eventually it lost strings. And, uh, at some point it got down to four strings, but I was, didn't really care cause I was playing drums. But, uh, at night, you know, if I was like watching TV or something, I'd pick it up and start playing it. Yeah. So I wound up, uh, kind of just absentmindedly writing a whole set of material around this four-string configuration. The same configuration that you still use? Yeah, like, yeah, so it's like yeah, minus yeah. the A string and minus... The D. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was completely random. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and a friend of mine heard it. I played it for a friend of mine who was a bass player, and he thought it was really good, and he said, we should do a duo, and I'll play drums, which he wanted to play. And you could play your four-string guitar. And so that was a band we called Watt. Uh-huh. W-A-T-T. -T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How long did that band... A uh... couple years. Yeah? Yeah. But he was more of a real musician than I was. And I was doing way more drugs than he was doing. <laughs> so we were kind of like mismatched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was going in a direction that I wasn't going. I was going the opposite way of wanting to be more free and wanting to improvise more and wanting to be ironically enough play slower and kind of you know in a less showy right. kind of way and uh, he wasn't into that so uh i had met this person called adris oyos uh, -huh. uh 
and uh, and she sort of just seamlessly took over his drum set. <laughs> it was like it was his kit, even, and she just kind of uh, took it over. And uh, I started playing with her. Yeah, and you kept the name Watt, or that's when? No, no, Watt. Watt was that was done, but we uh, we didn't really have a name. And in fact, to be honest, when we first played, um, you know, I knew I wanted to play music with her. We weren't sure what instrument, but I said, well, why don't you just play Tim's drums? Yeah. And so uh, we went in. My friend Frank had this recording studio across the street from where we lived on Miami Beach. And we uh, we went in there after hours, and, and that was actually our first uh, time playing together. We yeah. Recorded, yeah. When you say you were interested in improvisation, where what was your inroad? to improvisation as, a, as an approach did you well i mean i i mean at this you know oh god i mean this is at that moment this is like the early 90s okay yeah so i had a you amassed i had yeah hundreds if not thousands of records with improvisation right as their primary. Did, were there did you have good freeform radio in miami oh yeah 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 we had uh in the 70s during the sort of classic fm era freeform yeah we had some really really bizarre freeform stations and then the public radio stations wdna and um gosh what was the name of the other one i can't remember but uh they both had really 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 good uh what, what was called then new music mm -hmm. programs yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i really like i still kind of get like like i don't want to say a chill but some kind of sense of excitement when i just think about experiencing freeform radio and late night radio whether it's like fmu right or like rek in atlanta there's just like all these stations where like you can tap in and something fucking very strange is going to be happening right yeah i i'll give a shout out to steve malagoti who who ran a program called new music miami um uh that was fantastic and i still have memories you know because mm -hmm. they're on super late at night so it would be like you'd you'd fall asleep and then wake up and you'd be listening to Stockhausen or something. And it would, <laughs> you know how it is. I, mean, yeah. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of falling asleep and then waking up to some music. Yeah, and it really has like a direct line into your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a special experience. Yeah, it is a special experience. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So you guys started from the approach of <clears throat> oh, Adris and I. So yeah. Adris had no musical background. I had never played drums or done anything before. Yeah. So, <laughs> but was she trying to be a drummer no. playing in time? And no, she wasn't. I don't know what she was trying to do, but uh, it was. I liked it, and I liked her as a person. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's where I was coming from. I was like, I was really sick of musicians. I didn't want to play with musicians anymore. I wanted to play with interesting people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so you know, she was the perfect person to play with. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't think I don't think I think we just started playing. I didn't give her any any instruction or advice or whatever. We yeah. Just, we just did it. Do you still feel that way, that you prefer to play with interesting people than... Yes, well, I definitely prefer to play with interesting people. Yeah. Uh, they might be musicians also. Right. Try not to hold that against them. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really it. I mean, music is about people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number one. Right. You know? I can't, I can't, I don't play with anyone that I think is a drag. Right. Why would you, right? It's life short. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. It's really brutal. <laughs> <laughs> so did it take a while for that to turn into a band that... Yeah, well, I guess so. I mean, it, yeah. What do we do after? Like, it took a while for that recording to get finished. Because mm -hmm. it was kind of like a spur-of-the-moment thing. 
and I'm sure we then started playing. I was uh, running like a small not-for-profit that had a, a cinema uh, also very close to our house. And so it was easy to stash the drums and amp there. Oh, yeah. And so after hours, you know, like a, when the movie would end at 1130 or whatever, or midnight, we could go over and play in the theater. Play in the theater. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that became a thing. Um, That's uh, you play in the the cinema where people. Yeah, were... yeah, yeah. In front, we would put the drums right under the screen and drape a black cloth over them so they weren't really visible. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like no, like I practice in this room that we're sitting in. Oh wow! And you know, it's, there's no sound reflections. Right. It's a very small room. Like I, I think the room that you play in and practice in is going to influence the way you interact with sound quite a lot. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe. It was definitely a nice big room that we could make lots of noise in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was late at night and there were, it was a, it was a you know, commercial building, so there was nobody living around. And you guys were playing with, with a lot of volume. Yeah. <laughs> That's important, man. Like, you need to know how to play with volume and sort of, you know, yeah, push yeah, yeah, it yeah. and pull it and sit with it. Yeah, that's true. So, and we played a lot. I don't know what it was. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was no compelling reason. It wasn't like we were doing... I can't remember when we started. We must have started playing publicly kind of right away. Yeah. Um, you know, local shows or whatever. But Yeah, people were baffled that I was playing uh with Adris. <laughs> how how so? Just because it seemed Well, because I guess I guess by that point I had been playing like this sort of relatively technical music with my friend Tim and yeah. this band Watt. And then I just kind of did a one eighty and went the absolute opposite way. Yeah. And uh people were like why right <laughs> so my friend a friend of mine named robert said that adris was making me crazy but i was making her more sane so that it was it was a good so match. that's a good thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was, it was fun but then that band toured quite a lot so yeah so eventually that recording became a record yeah a seven inch and uh and it, it escaped the gravitational pull of Miami and made it out into the world. And uh, I, I remember when we made it, uh, Adris was, she was so excited and she, she was working in a bookstore and she, there was a girl like who was into Super Chunk or something and she went, she gave her this record because she thought this would finally establish her right. credibility. And like the girl was just not impressed by this, <laughs> this record at all. <laughs> and, and then Adris is like, well, all right, well, the one thing I wanted out of this record didn't happen. So she kind of lost interest. But then suddenly it, it, it started to get noticed, you know, and get reviews and yeah. people that, whose names we knew were into it. Yeah. And that gave us a reason to make a second record. Were you doing this on a label or you were... No. Well, I guess technically, actually, we were paying for it, but it was on a friend of mine's label uh-huh. uh, in Miami. Uh, this guy, Frank, whose studio it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you guys, I mean, you you did tours of like Sonic Youth and stuff, right? Yeah, it took a couple of years. Uh, we did the second single, and then the second single kind of made it seem a little bit more real. It just wasn't this one-off thing out of nowhere yeah um and then we did a made an lp for a record for a, a label in philly called silpreys uh-huh uh and then and then we were a thing and then we could tour and yeah yeah eventually wound up yeah opening for sonic youth and some other bands yeah yeah, yeah. did that band how can i say this like go for it <laughs> 
because I mean, you guys weren't just bandmates; you were also. Oh yeah, we were married. Yeah, you were married. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, how was it all one thing? Was it all one thing? No, I, I I guess I can answer that definitively because at some point we got divorced and the band continued. The on. band continued, so it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't one thing. So the band didn't end when you yeah, guys when we got divorced. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> was the touring after that. It was. It had awkward moments. Yeah, uh, but it was fine. Yeah. So when you put that band down, were you sort of like, "I'm done with music"? You know, I felt like that was. I mean, it was such a bizarre. The, tra- the trajectory of that band, you know, playing with somebody who didn't play music, playing our first show, our, our first time playing together to to record it and make a record out of it, uh-huh. that whole, and then for it to actually, you know, nothing was coming out of Miami, and suddenly we were able to tour Sonic Youth or whatever. So it just had this weird, magical trajectory to it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, really, what am I going to do? After that, you know, I'm yeah. just going to go to San Francisco and just play with somebody's noise band or whatever. You know, it just didn't, didn't right. feel fun, you know, in the same way. Yeah, I think magic's a good word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like a trajectory that you could not have, you know, put down on paper. Here's my five-year plan. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it wouldn't sound realistic. Right. And, uh, yeah. Did other bands in Miami, were they able to sort of uh, find find a way out as well based around this yeah i think around the same time there were a couple other like kind of weird noisy bands uh that were doing started doing some stuff yeah um and then there were there had always been i guess some commercial track for um bands you know if you were miami sound machine or something it right it wasn't like there were no bands sure I mean, miami sound yeah. machine was selling millions of records yeah, yeah yeah right so so you after the band you went straight to san francisco yeah, exactly. Ninety seven, the band ended. We did our last tour, and then I moved. We moved in October. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Um, and that was the second or, or third time that you'd put the guitar down. Oh, because of the drumming. Um, I didn't really make a conscious decision to not play. Yeah. I was just like, I was just doing. I was super busy working with the know? the tech stuff. Yeah, yeah, with the tech stuff. Because I mean, I had been. I because like I said, I was. Previous to that, I'd been working at a not-for-profit, and I was really broke. I was like 35. You know, my parents were still paying for my health insurance. Mm-hmm. I was not, you know, a fully functional adult. Were you? And you had an awareness of that? <laughs> yeah, I think I, at some point I thought this has got to, you know, I've got to figure out something. And I was, I was legitimately, I hadn't been interested in computers, but when the internet happened, it seemed like a different kind of thing. It was more about communication and it had these all these possibilities that weren't back when we thought it was going to be a good thing <laughs> it is a good thing it is a good thing it has it has a lot of yeah. downsides yeah but uh yeah so i actually was legitimately interested in doing it out of out of curiosity and but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna ask you this for self-serving purposes no, no worries at this time you said you're around 35 yeah and and you felt aimless is that a safe word no not aimless i was having a blast uh, it was just i had no money you know i had a car yeah. that didn't run right uh, i could pay my rent um did it feel like a crisis at all or it no, just felt it, like a... it did not you know honestly it just kind of grew organically out of like i was really interested in um the internet and, yeah and i was and i as a result of being interested i learned how to do some programming stuff yeah 
Um, and then this thing was happening in San Francisco, and I had had a couple friends already go out. They went out. They went. They <laughs> wandered west to the yeah, exactly the gold it, rush. It, it, it literally was a gold rush. It was like a second gold rush yeah, in San yeah, Francisco. Completely. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And so I thought, all right, I I I like this. I'm interested in this. I want to do this, and I need. And I'm broke. And uh, you know, I'm at that age where not being broke would be good. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I moved out. Yeah. And uh yeah. But it did, it wasn't it, it didn't at the time strike me like a crisis. It just seemed like this is an opportunity the band um, that I was in. The one thing that I really I oh, another piece of the puzzle was that is that uh I had been working at this not-for-profit and we had a 10-year lease on this space where we had the cinema. And we were on year 7 of that lease. And Miami Beach had changed dramatically. South Beach had yeah. changed dramatically, and the building that we were in had been sold. It had been owned by a patron of the arts previously, uh -huh. and now it was just owned by like a developer. A developer. Yeah. So we knew. I knew that we were not going to be renewing that lease. Yeah. And you know, the cinema was was the thing that helped fund other aspects of the organization. You know, we had like a across the street, we had a film co-op, and we had classes and equipment for rent and stuff like that. So I knew it was kind of all gonna. It had like a three-year lifespan. Mm -hmm. So that was another reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a big step though at, at thirty-five, moving to it is a new city, far, far away, ending the band, ending the work, ending the marriage. Well, no, well, so we had already been divorced, uh -huh. and a Adris was moving to England. So the band was gonna. We we knew we went into the final record and the final tour, knowing that the, it was over. Mm -hmm. So that was already done. Um, and so it is, and it's funny that you say it's such a big step. It's huge. Because in retrospect, yeah, recently I've been thinking, because my life is so stable, you know, now and uh, safe. I was like, look, what was I, <laughs> where did I get that kind of, uh, you know, uh, courage? Uh, I wish I had it now, but uh, yeah. So it was a big step. And I had no, I had no background. I had an English, uh, two English degrees. Which is not how you buy the yacht. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, I had no in the in the field. I had no professional experience or educational background in it. So did you like fake it till you make it kind yeah, of thing? Completely, I had a fake resume. And, really? Yeah. <laughs> did you make up companies and stuff? I can't remember exactly what I put on it. Uh, there was some mixture of real stuff, and for a long time, I would still include, you know, my professional experience outside. Right, the uh, nonprofit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, literally the workforce that you were trying to gain entry into is the same thing that you would use to figure out whether or not someone's full of shit you know it, it wasn't that good yet right <laughs> <laughs> this is still the 90s so right. there was no google at this time right yeah i still remember the first time i heard the word google oh really yeah my friend was like yeah just you know go to google and search for us like, what the fuck is google <laughs> <laughs> you know the other thing was it was was because it was all brand new there really weren't that many people that nobody had any experience really yeah everyone's yeah. figuring it out yeah yeah exactly so you were able to get a job at a company Got a job at a company, um, you know, starting as a temp, and you know, just kind of hopscotched around. Was it already the kind of thing where you were looking around and like dudes in their twenties were just throwing money around? They were hiring. They a lot of I got jobs where they were just hiring literally warm bodies. Yeah. They didn't even have a product or anything. They just needed people to sit in chairs in front of computers. And I had at least one job where 
all we did was just sit around playing video games because <laughs> and i mean but that's literally like the image of the dot-com boom it, like, it was it's relatively accurate yeah <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife she was in san francisco around that time oh really in berkeley oh okay and uh I think she, she told me these stories. You go to these parties right. being thrown by these guys in their 20s, and it's just like, is that like 500 grams of caviar? Is that, <laughs> you know, where? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't involved at that level of yeah. finance or anything, but uh, so I don't know where the money was coming from. But they, they would hire people with the anticipation that they would later make something. They would actually have work for these people to do, but first they needed the people. And what was that idea? To, to, to look legitimate or i guess because also because it's hard to hire people you know and so if you so, see someone you hang on to them yeah yeah, yeah. so i think yeah. it's kind of like that now for a lot of people yeah yeah. did um so it sounds like a, it was like an exciting new chapter it was an exciting new chapter and i was busy and then of course you know like 2004 we started having kids yeah and so that that's a whole thing yeah and uh yeah did uh and, and as you said earlier you weren't even Picking the guitar while watching movies. No, you know, and so much of even my memories, like when I did start playing again, and I remember I, f I forgot the last name of the guitarist that we played with, with this guy Dan Hosker, and somebody said to me something about Hosker, and I was like, Hosker, who's Hosker? And mm. I was like, how can I forget this guy that I spent months in a van with? You know, so I had really, really buried those memories, sealed it off. Yeah, yeah, somewhere deep. Do you? And and that was just totally an unconscious thing that yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, no, I I wasn't. I had. I mean, I had good. I didn't. I thought I had, I came out of the experience with good memories, and but I, you know, I my memory in general is not a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I I often like. I'm always. I always have like a sense of I'm doing everything wrong. This is me, you know. That uh, I, you know, I'm like I have dread. But then often, like after something happens. And I felt like I was doing something that I wasn't in control of. I look back on it in hindsight and go, I think that was just my instinct working uh -huh. and it, either protecting me from something or, or pushing me in the right direction that, you know, I didn't realize was the right direction. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I couldn't, I mean, I really, you know, people, like I said, people would occasionally approach me about playing or recording or doing anything. And I, I just remember not just, I just did not care, you know. I just didn't. didn't care. It didn't even like get a reaction. I was just like, eh, I'm not doing this. Were you outside of the <clears throat> the tech work? Were you engaging in creative activity? You know, I was doing a lot of programming for fun as well. Yeah. Um, and oh, and I did get actually. I mean, I say no music, but I did get interested in like uh, the last thing that I really, the last musical thing that I was really deep into was like the whole Mego laptop music scene and um yeah and i got into like max msp and some other stuff oh well, that's a once that snake bites <laughs> <laughs> it does go deep yeah it, it's endless yeah it's yeah. maddening yeah nice thing about a guitar is it has six strings and however or in your case four, four strings, strings. <laughs> like the it's a pretty finite set of materials yeah 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 yeah, no, I I went deep with the Mac stuff because I also had the programming thing and so I was like writing my own externals and it's, I mean, yeah, when you're looking for ways to kill time, and you can just, it's endless with that. Do you still mess around with Max MSP? No, I haven't. Um, I write my, I've got, I kind of went through that and then started writing my own uh, musical software. Yeah? From scratch. So, uh, yeah. And and is that still part of your? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I, I have a, 
The latest thing is this thing. Um, well, the full name is I dropped my phone. The screen cracked. Okay. <laughs> I just tried to pick up the dumbest name I could. And which, but I call it cracked. And uh, it's just a, it's a library for doing sound. And uh, basically I had an API, like a syntax for how to combine sounds uh-huh. and manipulate them. Uh, and, uh, you know, the idea didn't go away. So after like about six months, I coded it up and, and I've been using that to, to make uh, computer music with for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And you continue to sort of tinker with it or you feel like you found like a... No, I mean, it's, I mean, the basic thing is done, but software, that one of the drags of software is that it's never complete because, you know, you have to constantly be fixing bugs and the environments that they run in... I get so irritated with that shit, yeah. man. So it's never done, sadly. And like a record. Record's so great. You make a record and then it's done. Are you... So, okay, well, I want to ask you something about that. Good. But, wait, or, well, but when did... Um, when did the... Did you pick up the guitar and what prompted it? Oh, right. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I was in this, yeah, void, this space where I wasn't even thinking about guitar. And uh, a guy offered to reissue some records that we had that had only come out on like LP, like a 97 right at the very end. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, we could, you know, do something with us. And, uh, and for whatever reason, I got interested enough to um, dig up the tapes and all the original stuff and start to like look at like what, could be done with it you know about make make it into a compilation or something and uh and and you know it was like something that has been freeze-dried and then you put it in water and suddenly it it rehydrated in my brain and uh yeah it was like that was around 2008 Mm -hmm. and so for most of 2008 i was you know, listening. And it's, uh, it was interesting because like the one guitar or whatever that I had, I had, had had six strings on, even though I never played it, I, I just left it kind of strung normal. Mm-hmm. But then after I was like listening to these, these recordings, I was like, oh man, I don't need those strings. Four strings. <laughs> That's the thing, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I got, I, it just got, it just went deep, you know, and all these things that, that I had forgotten suddenly started coming back. And uh, I had this, uh, I remember very clearly uh, finding stuff on YouTube that maybe I had never seen before. And, and in particular, this one show at the at the Cooler in New York. Mm-hmm. Stuff that, of shows you had played. Yeah. Yeah. With me and Adris. And I was just like, I watched this one thing and I was just like, I was just on the floor laughing so, so hard. I couldn't believe like that. I had made this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was just hilarious. It was just so over the top, and you know, and I, it was so wonderful. And I was like, "Oh man, this is I, sh- I need to do this now." Yeah, 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 yeah. And and did you immediately know that it was going to be a solo thing? No, I didn't. You know, I don't think I thought, "Oh, I'm going to now make a record or whatever." I just thought four strings get a guitar with four strings and I just started playing again you know so you bought a new guitar no I had a I had my old acoustic that I had had forever and that had been broken and and in fact I think it was still no it it was fixed it was broken a couple times the neck had come off and at one time I did a show 
where I punched a hole. In it. I mean, it, this guitar had been really be- abused. Need some damage. Yeah, and but I, I, I had pieced it back together and uh, strung it up with four strings and just started playing. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. Again, this idea of like a tra- trajectory. Like, well, you know, when you're on the right path, it just, there's this weird momentum that just goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you don't have to. I mean, momentum is the thing that I think we need to always be striving for right. more than anything else. As long as things are moving forward in some direction, everything works better. Everything feels better. Yeah, yeah. Every you know that's that's when things happen that you didn't foresee. Right. But yeah, so I started playing, and then and then it just felt good, and it sounded good, and I <clears throat> I remember telling my wife I went like met her for lunch one day and. I just told her I felt like, you know, Godzilla crushing cities when I was playing guitar. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what did she say? She's like, dude, whatever. <laughs> but uh Sounds like she and my wife went to the same school. <laughs> but uh but it like when 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 you know, having that feeling and just like, you know, you're like, yes. Yeah. Now I got to record this. So, made a record, uh just a 7-inch just to kind of see if anybody cared. And yeah, there was a great response, sold them all, made an LP, and you know, went from there. And these were home recordings? Home recordings, yeah. Was that uh, an important part of the the idea, or it was just... It, it was, it was yeah, it was the only thing I considered. I didn't even think about going into studio. Yeah. It's just me uh, playing an acoustic guitar, so... Yeah. Right. But I mean, I'm, I was listening to, to some of that, and I, I I would say, as a listener, completely separate from the creation of it, yep. and as someone who appreciates sonic presentation of ideas, right. I think that music would suffer if mm. it was a really nice recording at yeah. a studio. I, I think part of the character is this sort of... Absolutely. Especially that first uh, batch, because that was done, we lived on 24th and York, uh, above a diner, the St. Francis, and it was a very busy street. And with trucks and stuff going by all the time, and uh, and so yeah, you can hear all kinds of noise. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, it's it's like a weird entry into uh, like your world or one's world. You know, right? If you hear uh, something recorded at someone's home, you are really like kind of in their head in a way because this is the world that they exist they exist in. Yeah, I mean, I was you know a little bit also was was me at that point. I was get you know kind of formulating what is this because I was I had never played solo before. So I did. Have you a, enjoyed solo recordings? Yeah, I think I have, and I, I think actually that's my kind of favorite thing. You know, if I want to hear Cecil Taylor, I want to hear him solo. Yes. yes. You know, and uh, string quartets, I love. You know, mm-hmm. the kind of the fewer instruments, I, I really enjoy hearing the specific, you know, yeah. thing. So I so at that point I was like, okay, I'm do I'm I'm, I'm I guess I'm going to do this solo. And uh, so I started doing a kind of a deep dive on like other kinds of solo music. Did you check in with Derek Bailey? Well, yeah, I was already friends with Derek Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like flamenco. Yeah. And, you know, listening to a lot of, you know, Lomax and kinds of, you know, field recording kinds of solo stuff. And so part of, of recording in that room and accepting the noises that were going on around me were, were related to, you know, field recording yeah totally yeah you can hear the birds and people yelling in the background <laughs> yes there's all that <laughs> i love that shit um and then what was the first solo concert oh right um 
It was to have been my no. Well, uh, the first thing was uh, a guy contacted me about playing in England, um, and this is even before the record came out. But just a guy who was a, f- a fan of Harry Pussy said, "You know, we're, we do this festival in England. Why don't you come and play?" And I think he'd asked me before, and I had said no. But this time, because I was actually playing, I was like, stuff. "Yeah, yeah, let's go." And so the first thing I did was with a drummer um, in this in, in Brighton at this Colorado Space Festival. Yeah, um, Paul Hessian. Okay, if you know who, who that is, that sounds very. Familiar. Is he? He lives in Brighton. I, I'm not sure where he lives. He, I think he lives further north. Okay, um, but he's played with Derek Bailey and and other people. Yeah, I think I've got some stuff with him. Yeah, on. yeah. Anyway, played with him, and then the first solo actually was in Christmas, uh, in in at Churchill's in Miami. Yeah, I played a solo show, and and it was pure improvised, or you were? Yeah, it would have been improvised, but uh, how'd it go? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 Miami, right? So it's like. At this club, they don't even like you know. I don't think they even like turned off the jukebox while, really? <laughs> while I was playing. Really? Yeah, but uh, that's fine. I mean, Churchill's is a great bar, but maybe not the best place to for like a solo acoustic uh, appearance. Right. I mean, I've had these existential moments of I don't want to say crisis, but where I've I've done a lot of solo concerts. Oh, okay. Continue to where I've been playing solo in a place similar to what you just described, where right. it's like okay, this I'm clearly like. A secondary part of everyone here's experience right and what i'm confronted with is well should i change my material to match the room i mean i don't right. have to worry about you know right. compromising with a drummer and a bass player right and i've never done it but someday i want to do that experiment where i play somewhere where like people are trying to do something besides listen oh and try and bend to what they're doing oh i've got i mean so i mean this is the first show right i mean now i i feel like you know, bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> I can handle any room, yeah. Yeah, 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 It yeah. doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I, I have a, you know, a small library of, like, techniques for, for messing with audiences. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't... Do you use voice at all? Oh, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, playing super quiet, like, pretending to play, mm-hmm. I'll do that sometimes, just, like move my fingers but not make any sound and then the sound guy's kind of writing the levels up because <laughs> and people and the few people that might be interested in hearing are kind Did of like I, shooting the, angry looks at, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly you know and then at that point you just kind of lean down into the microphone and scream shut the fuck up like in a really loud voice yeah and that'll that gets everyone's attention so i that's happened to me twice where i right. found myself doing that yeah and this past summer, I was playing a show in um, Dallas, and Good. it was it was yeah, it was one of these things where like it was not a, a well programmed bill because I was playing right. solo clarinet, you know, as like the fifth fucking on on a bill of metal bands. Right. Oh, nice. You know, and after about twenty minutes, you know, and I, I go to a, a quiet part. Everyone's. I grab the mic and I say, you know, normally when the musician starts playing quietly, you shut the fuck up. Right. And I went back to playing, but I just felt awful afterwards. And people right. came up. They're like, man, that was the coolest thing. And yeah. I was like, for you? Me? I, I mean. <laughs> I'm not angry. That's the thing is, like, like I will, I'll shriek, shut yeah. the fuck up. But I'm not angry. It's just, I want to get people's attention. Yeah. And then it, you know, it's a little disconcerting for them. And then they, they usually stop. Or they leave or. Or whatever. Yeah. Or they get angry at me. Yeah. It's happened. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. But you got to shut the fuck up. 
Well, they don't have to. I mean, if you're if you have any decency, <laughs> it's like I wouldn't walk into any room right. and not be semi observant of what the tone of the room is. Right. Oh, you know. Shit, I kicked your mic. That's fine. You know, you wouldn't walk into a room at the Met and you know. No, I wouldn't. But right. you know, it's fine. People are there to to hang out with their friends and and drink or whatever. And I understand they they're babbling. And I've certainly you know been at concerts. I, I I'm I'm very conscientious of not talking while people are playing. But I'll go outside and just fucking yak my brains out yeah if i feel like talking but uh you know i'll also like you, if you just start give something just behave in a way that just makes people curious about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean there are ways there are ways to get to 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 get people to shut up yeah but yeah no but like when a you know it took a couple of years of playing solo concerts to understand all that yeah and do you enjoy like so you're on tour right now right playing solo yeah. Are, do you enjoy the 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 aspect of being alone on the road not so much um i don't like to drive yeah, yeah. uh i like to be driven and uh i don't get to have anybody there's no one there to drive me around yeah so that's that's it requires more concentration than i like to spend <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like I like to just like fucking drift and yeah. uh, so I spend a lot of time, you know, 5 hour drives of like having to pay attention. <laughs> and uh <laughs> uh touring solo can get a little lonely, but Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love I love playing solo. Yeah. Playing solo is great, but uh yeah, touring the that aspect of it uh, it's. I, I feel like I, I, I would benefit from a, a tour manager or something. Somebody right. who's just like, go stand there, go do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have have you been able to translate the the stuff you've been doing on guitar pretty easily into playing with groups? I did in Harry Pussy. Yeah. yeah, I would actually. I actually. That's this is the next thing for me is I want to start getting back into writing two guitar parts. And, yeah, and recording them. Yeah, two guitars. That's it, or with the rhythm section as well. Uh, well, I think just to start, maybe just two guitars, or I was even thinking maybe four guitars. Yeah, see how that goes. Are you writing with specific people in mind? No, uh, that's the thing. Is like because what I do is so you know uh, specific to me, and uh, it's it's. I've taught it that I, I, there was a guitarist, this guy Dan Hosker, mm -hmm. who I I was able to work with, and who had the patience to work with me, and I was able to like you know show him the parts and you know after a very steep like initial learning curve he like got right into it and we yeah were, it was awesome yeah and then you can just play it doesn't have to be this like monitored situation well we you know i mean it, it, the truth was that most of that harry pussy stuff was was wasn't wasn't improvised at all it was all composed right so right and so now you're doing you're on this tour you're playing electric yeah and you're playing a telly right yeah how do you decide on a telly that's like a I got a tally when I was a teenager. Because for any reason in particular? Or? Yeah, because I was uh, I was a Hendrix fan. I was a huge Hendrix yeah. fan, and I had a Strat. Yep. And uh, and then I went to college, and I guess in like so this would have been like eighty, nineteen eighty, seeing uh, Rude Boy, uh, the Clash movie, mm -hmm. and uh, Joe Strummer with his telly, mm -hmm. and it just seemed like such a an awesome image. That's the good. Yeah. <laughs> And I and I that that summer when I got back from college, I traded my Strat for a Telly. Yeah, and it's yeah. been a Telly ever since. 
Yeah, it's a really it it's has a, a hunk of wood, a total hunk of wood, and it's so basic. And you know, there's just there's no there's nothing frilly about it. It just has this this is like a hammer or something. It's like a real kind yeah. of a tool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and uh, you know, and at this point, also, I'm just really comfortable with it. It's a little troubling to me that it's become so popular, and you see so many people now playing tellies. Yeah. But uh, but I mean, I, to changing. me, as as a non guitar player who's always wished he was a guitar player, uh, and I, I'm not just making this up right now. I'm actually thinking about going to buy a guitar today. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, I always look at the you know the great guitars. I look at like the Les Pauls and the SGs right. and the you know the 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 hollow bodies and everything. I always think like, who are the cats that play those guitars? Yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah, what am I saying if I pick that one? Exactly. You know? And I land on the telly quite a lot. You know, yeah. a lot of the guys that I think are like. I want to. I, I kind of want to learn to do some of what Keith Richards is doing. I think I need right. to get a telly. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I hear you, man. It's like it's 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 kind of. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. The way that history now is so f- completely intertwined with these these instruments. You know, when Buddy Holly got a Stratted, you know, I don't think he was thinking anything other right. than like this is this brand new cool guitar they're making. I'm mean, gonna get it. It's like the instrument. At the end of the day, at the end, end of the day, doesn't really matter. It's yep. the person who fucking plays it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Right. Um, and obviously, you want a nice, responsive instrument, da 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 But I, I, I find myself, when I'm confronting musical problems, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to go buy some new gear. Right. And it's like, that's not the answer. It's not the answer. But, it, you know, it can also be really fun. It's so fun. <laughs> and there are lots of... Uh, if I and I could go back and kind of look at the music I've made and divide it up into like periods of certain guitars because I did. Yeah, I started with a telly when Adris and I started playing together. Initially, we we had a telly, but we found it didn't blend well when we added a second guitarist. It just didn't quite sit right. So I had switched to this weird, uh, like like there's a guy in Miami called Gene Styles. It's uh, a cool name. Yeah, he wasn't. He was. He was. He, was, he made guitars, but it wasn't yeah. like a. He just had a shop by the airport, and he made them since the '60s, and they were oh, all wow. kind of junky, uh, sort of takeoff on surf guitars. And he would make his own pickups, and they had a kind of primitiveness. Yeah. Thing. So I had I, I collected those for a while. Do you still have them? I have some of them. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, so for a while I played my Styles guitar, and then I switched to a, uh, um, uh, God damn it, I'm blanking on the name. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> a cheap, a kind of cheap press board guitar, like a Hondo or a. No, it wasn't a Hondo. It was a. Uh, it's, it's it's Dan Electro. Oh, I love those things, yeah, man. Yeah. So I had a Dan Electro for a while, um, and then uh, and then playing solo again. When I switched back to playing solo electric, I, I went to the telly. Back to telly. Yeah, I feel like all the guitars that I like when I'm up late at night on eBay, looking yeah, the ones yeah. that I think look really cool, probably don't play so good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you see so many, like, so much great music has been made on shitty equipment, you know? Yeah. And I, I just try to remember that. Are you know? into the amps? Yeah, I'm into amps. I think, man, that to me is the real, like, yeah. like the real muscle head in me that's like, think you know, that looks at this shit like muscle cars. I, I kind of lust right. more for the amps. I'm really trying to, to get it all under control, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because uh, a couple things. One is when you're playing vintage gear, it it breaks a lot. Yep, you know, and, and you it, need special people to fix it, or you need to le- develop the skills yourself. And I I'm not 
I don't want to go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying more and more to just buy things that I can just get at Guitar Center and yeah. and not have to think about it and not have to maintain it and not have to worry what the airline's going to do to it or right. what happens if my trunk pops open on you know, FDR. FDR. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I can just go buy another one. Off yeah, the if you're shelf. on tour and yeah. something craps out, yeah. find a Guitar Center, fix right. it. Yeah. I think that's a good approach. Yeah. And as you said, I mean, in the end, it's about, you know, the fingers and, yeah. and brain of the person. Playing. Like you see those stupid green line sixes everywhere, you know? <laughs> and it's like there are people who do cool shit with it. That's right. Despite the object's, you know, best intentions to not let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I heard Steve O'Malley say one time that, like, I hope I'm attributing this to the right person, uh, that when you're playing electric guitar, you're playing the amp. Like, the the guitar is, you know, like, the way you're going to communicate with the amp. <laughs> Yes, Stephen O'Malley would say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you played with him? A couple times, yeah. Yeah. Was that was that challenging? No, no, he's awesome. He's I've never played with him. I oh, played I on I played on Bill with him. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, there are different ways of playing the guitar, right? So totally. I mean, if you're playing in Sun, that's a very specific thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last night was the last night of the tour. Yeah, this tour, and then you're coming back in June. Coming back in June. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing a lot of recording? No, but I want to. That's my goal. I mean, I had a bunch of stuff run together here at the beginning of the year. I, yeah. Corsano and I went to Europe for a week. He's the best. He's the best. Yeah. And uh, and then I then I had this thing, and then I was in San Diego in between, and uh, coming back in June. But I would like to kind of reserve the second half of the year to do something. And do you still enjoy recording at home? Yeah. That's the way to go, right? Yeah, uh, I made I, this last record. Uh, I actually did something called reamping. Yeah, know, you know what that is? Of course. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so I like because I would be getting up in the morning before work and kind of doing my recording in my office, which is not much bigger than this, uh, direct into the computer. Yeah. Yeah, and then when it was all done, and I could just take a day off from work, go upstairs to the. Um, living room and then set up amps and mics and, all and that. really kind of tweak it right and then absent th- from being the player exactly so which was a nice a nice way to approach it that is a good way to approach it yeah yeah and then yeah. also not subjecting my family and the neighbors to the sounds of me you know messing around with an amp right you're yeah. dialing the amp sound in and what it's already going to be what it is exactly and it got recorded when it was very quiet and it wasn't bothering anybody yeah yeah that's a really slick way to do it yeah for a solo thing it's nice yeah. right yeah I think you just gave me some ideas. <laughs> right on. I appreciate you coming over and talking. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, thanks, Bill. All right. All right, that was Bill Orcutt. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. I thought that was a good, pleasant conversation. Uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot. If you want to find out more about Bill and what he's up to, his tour dates, his records, go to the website of his label. Pal Il Alia Records. P A L I L A L I A. Pal Il Alia. I, you know, I have a hard time with the letter L. I actually had to go to speech therapy growing up, and uh, that's a tricky word for me. Go to the 5049 website. Check out the past episodes. Uh, there's 160 of them, so uh, if, if you haven't checked them out, I'm sure there's something in there you might be interested in. Uh, And that's it. 
Hope you guys are all cool. Talk to you next week. Next week uh, is a special one. Next week on the show, Dave Burrell comes by. Dave Burrell. Legend of free jazz. Dave Burrell comes by. And it's good. We talk about Lenny Bruce. He played with Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Look forward to that. All right. That's it. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.